All right. So Second Corinthians, this is a book I've been really chomping at the bit to, to preach through since we preached through First Corinthians, which was like three years ago or something. Uh, we preached through First Corinthians, and then I was like, well, we need to have some other things in there. And what I like to do is normally go back and forth between New Testament and Old Testament. And the Old Testament book we picked was Isaiah, which took us like 17 years to preach through. So it's been a while since we've been in the New Testament. And and uh, 2 Corinthians is, I think, just from a personal level, is my favorite book of the, of the Bible. Um, I, I say that because, not because there's not a lot of other passages that are powerful and profound, but 2 Corinthians just has this message in it that is uh, gloriously Christ-centered in the midst of really hard things, really difficult things. Paul is writing this letter to a church that is very, very busted up and broken. Uh, the Corinthian church was not an ideal church. It was not a church that you would look to and go, let's do it the way they did it. Um, they were really, really broken. And, and the, f- the first letter to the Corinthians that we have is actually not the first letter Paul wrote to them. I think that was the second letter. And then this was the, perhaps the third or fourth letter. He wrote, we know of at least a, of three or four letters that he wrote to the, the church. Our Bibles only have the first, th- these two. But um, Paul communicated with Corinth a lot, whether he was with them, because he spent about 18 years uh, years, months uh, with them, uh, he, about a year and a half with them uh, as he got the church established and as he helped them to, to set things in order. And then he left and everything went into disorder and it, it really got crazy. And so 1 Corinthians was Paul's kind of hard letter saying, hey, these are the things that are really bad here. You need to address them. Um, and 2 Corinthians comes in and it's just got a different vibe very different feel. Uh, it's, it's not that Paul doesn't address their, their problems, because he certainly does, but, but Paul just gets really honest. And I think that's why I'm so drawn to it, because Paul's more transparent about his own struggles and his hardships uh, in this letter than probably anywhere else in, in the scriptures. And so we're calling this book, Affli- uh, the series, Afflicted But Not Crushed. And that's a phrase out of the, the kind of the tail end of this book. Paul uses that phrase that we are afflicted but not crushed, uh, among a lot of other things. Um, but I think this idea of affliction, being afflicted, which is a kind of a, a, a word we don't use a whole lot, but it's a, it's a word that refers to our suffering, our hardships, our difficulties. Um, being afflicted but not crushed, I think, is the entire hope of, of the Christian life. Like, we're not going to get through this, this life unscathed or unafflicted, but we, we will get through it uncrushed. We're going to come out of it victorious, not because of us, but because of Christ and what he's done. And, and so the idea of, of suffering and affliction and difficulties just permeate throughout this letter. Paul addresses a lot of his problems as uh, an apostle and the suffering he encountered. We're actually going to see that right out of the gate here in chapter one. Um, but, but there's just such a heart of tenderness that Paul has towards the church in Corinth that really comes out in this, in this letter. 
like 1 Corinthians was sort of that hammer of you need to work on these things. And because of that, the, the Corinthians didn't really like Paul. Um, this is interesting. They didn't really like him. They, they accused him of being a boring preacher, which is about the biggest stab in the heart for a preacher you can hear, right? Uh, he's boring. He's, uh, he's not particularly compelling, exciting. He's, he's perhaps not even an apostle because he suffers so much and they couldn't wrap their heads around how he could suffer so much and be an apostle. Um, there were a lot of things that Paul had to deal with with this church. They didn't particularly like him, uh, but he really loved them. And, and that's just such, a, that's such an awesome thing, that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ was so powerfully at work in Paul's heart that these people who really thought he was just not anything worth listening to, many of them, not all of them, but many of them, thought he just was kind of a, a waste of time, um, he didn't feel that way about them. And, and so I'm, I'm just really compelled by that. But anyways, that's all kind of introductory. Let's get into the letter. Uh, we're going to be in the first 11 verses this morning. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to try, uh, as we work through this, just to kind of hit the, the sections and preach. So there, there may be some, some weeks where we're preaching um, into different chapters or whatever, but we're just going to try to take the main ideas the main thoughts here. So let's roll with it. Um, Paul begins, the first word is Paul. Uh, the reason for that is because the way that letters were written in the ancient world, uh, you started with introducing yourself. You would state your name, you would state your title or who you are, or how you're related to the situation. And then you would address, right after that, you'd address who you're speaking to. Whereas our letter writing is different, right? We start with the, the person we're writing to, dear sir or madam, whatever it is, and then we have the body of the letter and then we, we sign off with our name. Uh, but, but in the ancient world, they wrote letters with the, the writer and then right after that, the, the recipients and then the body of the letter. And so that's why it starts with Paul. But he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. So here we're introduced to the writers. There's actually two. There's Paul and Timothy. They're both writing to th this letter. Now, they're both probably, Paul is the primary author. Timothy's probably helping because Timothy had spent some time in Corinth on Paul's uh, request. So he's probably giving some insight into what they need to hear. Um, but they're working on it together. They're collaborating on it. And Paul addresses himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. So why is that important? Well, because an apostle means it, it's a, it was a position, it was a title uh, of authority in the early church. And it was where Jesus established his apostles who were the ones that he sent with the very authority of Jesus Christ. So when Paul speaks of himself as an apostle, he's not writing about his personal opinions. He's writing with the authority of Christ. And that's why we need to take this and, and read it for ourselves as well, because this isn't just Paul's point of view or his opinion. He's writing as an apostle of Christ Jesus, that he gets to speak into the situation that Paul, uh, that the Corinthians are dealing with because Jesus has sent him to do that. And it says that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. This is huge. He didn't appoint himself an apostle. 
God picked him through that episode in Acts that some of you are familiar with where he gets knocked off his horse and he uh, is blinded and, and Jesus speaks to him and calls him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. That was by the will of God. God chose Paul for this task. And so Paul's not speaking here as just a guy. He's speaking with the authority of Jesus by God's will. And then it says this, so the next, next line is, to the church of God that is at Corinth. I, I love that he refers to them this way, to the church of God. It's not that he's writing to this, this really raggedy group of people. They are terrible in so many ways. They're doing some awful things. But Paul hasn't said, well, you're not a church anymore because look at what's gone on. No, he sees this church as God's church, as broken as it is, as messy as it is, it is God's church in Corinth. That's so encouraging because we're a mess too, aren't we? <laughs> we just are. Of course we are. We're a mess. But we, but we get to be, nonetheless, God's church, God's church, where we are. We're not in Corinth, but we are in Anago. We are in White Lake and we're in... Uh, you know, we're, we're a part of what God is building in his church, and that's a beautiful thing. So to the church of God that is in Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Acacia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll notice a theme when you read the, the letters of Paul. He almost always begins his letters with this phrase, grace to you and peace from God. He, he begins this letter put, setting it into the right framework. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the very heart of Paul. He wants them to know and experience the grace of God and the peace of God the Father. He's, he's not writing this in a combative way. He's not writing this to attack. He's writing this flowing out of the very grace that God has for these people. And, and yes, there are going to be things in here that are corrective and meant to confront. And yeah, because God's grace meets us with, it, with confrontation at times. God's grace does. God loves us too much to leave us in our sin and our foolishness. And so there will be things that Paul says throughout this letter that are hard to hear but they're, they're going to be necessary to hear. At the same time, the overarching idea that Paul is trying to attack here is this, the grace of God and the peace of God. That's what he wants them to know and experience. All right, so that's the greeting. That's the introduction. That's where Paul starts. But then immediately into this, verse 3 through 11 is perhaps, uh, for me, one of the most powerful passages in the scriptures, especially when you understand that our lives are really not what we always want them to be. We don't live perfect lives. We don't have perfect circumstances. And so Paul's going to immediately, without any fanfare, without any real introduction, he's just going to dive in to the, to the biggest circumstances that they're facing and that he himself is facing. And he's going to be really honest and raw with us and that's what's so compelling. So look at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Paul, Paul begins here with a call to worship. That's what it means to, be, to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be is, a, is an Old Testament way of, of calling people to worship. To bless the Lord is synonymous with worshiping the Lord. To, to, to turn our hearts to him. We just read in Psalm, in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. We, we bless the Lord, right, as we come to him in worship. We're not blessing him in a sense that we have something to offer him, but we are blessing him in the sense that we are giving our hearts and lives to him in, in worship and adoration. And then notice what Paul says. He says, Blessed, worthy of worship is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice this, how he actually frames the Father. How does he describe him? The Father of mercies and God of all comfort. This is how Paul defines our God. As the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Why is that important? Like we, we could blow right past this and go, okay, nice, let's move on. But, but I think this is massively important for us to hone in on for a few moments because this is the heart of God. This is the heart of God, to be the God of mercies and comforts. Here's why that matters. Because in those two statements, mercy and comfort, Paul is telling us that God in Christ is for us everything we need in this broken world. He is everything we need in this broken world. See, why does one need a merciful God? Because we're sinners, right? We're sinners. We've failed, we've fallen, we've, we've rebelled, we've made a share, our share of mistakes. Even today, we've made our failures and, and, and flaws obvious. We need mercy because of our sin. We also need comfort because of our sin and because of our suffering. And so right here, you have this, this all-encompassing God who is going to bring all of these sinners and sufferers to himself. He is the God of all mercies and all comfort. He is the God who, who meets sinners where they are and meets sufferers where they are and offers to them what they need, whether it's mercy or comfort. or In some ways, it's both, Right? This, is, this, is, this gets to the very heart of God. It's actually interesting in Matthew 11, you don't have to turn there, you can if you want, but in, in Matthew 11, we see Jesus speak of himself in a unique way. Um, so Charles Spurgeon, who was a pastor in England many years ago in the 1800s, I didn't, I didn't, I'm not smart enough to come up with this on my own, but he figured out uh, that of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's about 90 chapters, 
89 to be precise, I think. But in those four books, which are the books that we have about Jesus' life and his teachings, and you know, outside of the apostles' writings, um, we have in 89 chapters, Jesus does not tell us anything about his heart directly except for one verse. There is one verse that Jesus says, this is my heart. Now, he shows us a lot of his heart through his healing and teaching and miracles. We, we learn a lot about him, but he doesn't say anything about his heart and the heart being the inner person, right? The, the core of who you are. Who, how does Jesus define himself as a, as, at the core of who he is? Jesus being God made man, who has all the attributes of the Father, has all the authority of the Father. Um, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is our Trinitarian God. We have one God, three persons. That's hard to understand, but it's what the Bible teaches. And so we have the Father and we have the Son. They resemble each other. They are identical in, in so much of what they do. And their character is the same. But here's what he says about himself. It says this, verse 28 says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, means burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's the only place in the Gospels that we actually are taught what Jesus' heart is. He says it is gentle and lowly. And so what that means is that this idea of being lowly means that he is identifying and living among his people. God literally became a man. He didn't have to become a man. He became a man because that's what was required to save us. And he became low and near to us. He has a heart that's gentle and kind and gracious. This is very much what Paul's saying to us about our God, that he is the God of mercies and all comfort. He wants us to know him as a, a God that we can seek our refuge and, re, and uh, refuge in, yeah, that, that we can come to him because he's gentle. And he offers us comfort and mercy. Now, let's, let's just keep going here. Verse 4 says that we'll, we'll piggyback off of 3 just so we get the sentence here. It says, The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who, so this is God, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Let, let's just back up and look at the, the first part of verse 4. Verse 4, um, I think we could have a whole sermon on just that first half of verse 4. We, we won't, I'm sorry to say, but we're going we're gonna to keep going. But let me just pause for a moment and listen to this. This God comforts us in all our affliction. Let's just stop there. 
God comforts us in all our affliction. There are three words there that we need to stop and think about. The first word is that he comforts us. Us. Paul's speaking collectively. He's speaking as the community of faith, believers throughout the world. He comforts us. And what that means is that's you and me. He comforts you. He comforts me in what? What does he comfort us in? In all our affliction. That, that's amazingly hopeful that when we go through hardships and trials, we actually have a God who cares for us, for you and for me. God is doing this for his people. So the God of all comfort comforts us. Look at the next word. In. In. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that he's right there with you and right there with me in the afflictions that we face. He's right there in the middle of it. He's not absent. He's not looking on from the sidelines. He's not hovering above some, from some helicopter. He's next to you. He's with you. He's in you. He's walking with you through the valley of the shadow of death as you walk through affliction. Our God does this for us. It's, he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in, in the midst of all of our afflictions, and that's the next word, is all. All. So all means all. Right? There's, there's, that's, that's what it means. Everything. Everything that you're going through right now, that, that health scare you may have, that job lost, that, that marriage that you're in, that you're struggling through, that neighbor that you have that you just can't seem to get along with, the stress you're carrying about who knows what, every, oh, you and God know what, right? That all of that, the doubt that you may have in your heart about all of this that you don't feel like you can share, all, all of your afflictions, Jesus is with you in them. That's such a comforting truth. We need to hear it. We need to take it in. We need to believe it because it's true. This is who God is. He is the God of mercies and all comfort for us in all our affliction. And then Paul tells us in the second half of verse 4 why God comforts us in all our affliction. This is really amazing. Look at what it says. It starts with these, this phrase, so that... So why is God in all of our afflictions with us? Here's why. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we ourselves are comforted by God. You're going to get sick of me saying this, but this is gospel culture coming out of gospel doctrine. The gospel doctrine is that God comforts us in all our afflictions. The gospel culture is because he does that, we get to comfort each other. We get to actually bring this about 
in other people's lives. We get to walk beside one another in the church to comfort them in their afflictions because we ourselves have been comforted by God. We've experienced the the comfort of God so we can offer the comfort of God to others. That's a role that you and I get to play. It's a wonderful thing. It's what the church is meant to be. All right, let's look at verse 5 through 7. So we'll take a bit of a chunk here. It says, For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. So, uh, through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experienced when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in sufferings, you also share in our comfort. What's Paul saying there? Well, Paul's explaining to the Corinthians that the sufferings he experienced as an apostle were meant to draw their minds and hearts to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who truly suffered. See, Jesus was absolutely perfect and sinless in everything he did and said and accomplished. And yet Jesus suffered more than any of us on the, in, from the standpoint of he, he had no reason to suffer. He was absolutely perfect. A lot of our suffering comes from ourselves and our sinfulness. Not all, right? Not, not all of our suffering is the result of our own sinfulness, but a lot of it is because we make really foolish decisions and we do things that are outside of God's plan and will for our lives. And so we, we do reap consequences of things that we, that we deal with. But Jesus didn't have that. All of his suffering was, was from the outside in. Some of our suffering is from the outside in and some of it and much, much of it is from the inside out. But But this is the thing, that Jesus is the one who truly suffered far more than you will, far more than I will. He suffered, but but this is what Paul's point is, is that he suffered, and yet he suffered for our comfort. He suffered so that we would be comforted. He went to the cross and died the brutal, horrific death of crucifixion. And that says, and that's nothing compared to the spiritual suffering he endured at the hands of God's own wrath for sinners. Jesus suffered not just physical suffering, which he did, but spiritual, emotional, tormental suffering as well. And, and Jesus went through all of that. Why? So that we could be comforted. That's the gospel. He didn't suffer so we would suffer. He suffered so we would be comforted. But our suffering, that is the natural consequence of living in a fallen world and being fallen people, that that suffering isn't looked on by Jesus and said, ah, you guys deserve it. No, he wants us to to experience comfort even in the midst of our sufferings. Paul's saying that, and he's saying that... um, that the one who is comforted ultimately because he was raised from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of God 
Jesus is in a place of great comfort, far more comfortable than you and I are in this moment because of who he is, because he suffered and then was comforted in his resurrection. He then can bring about our own salvation and our own comfort through this. So this is how Paul establishes this book. He's starting it out with, man, you're going to go through some horrible things. But Jesus is going to be right there with you. See, th- there's a, there's a f- falsehood in a lot of the American version of Christianity that we, that we experience. And I think just Western, outside of America too, it's this way. But um, in places where people don't suffer a lot, um, there, there's a sense in which when we do suffer, it must be because we're, we're just, we deserve it or we did something wrong or we didn't have enough faith or, right? And we, we, we have these teachers out there at times telling us that if we just would give them some money and do something nice, then, some, then we'll, we'll, we won't have any problems. And that just doesn't align. That's just not true. It's not reality. Christians suffer because we live in a fallen and broken world, but we don't suffer alone. That's, that's the glorious hope we have, is we don't suffer alone. We always have Jesus with us, and, and we ought to then have each other with us as well. That's what Paul's establishing here. Now, from 8 through 11, here's, what, here's where Paul goes, and this is why I say that this passage is so compelling, because he pivots to his own personal experiences. Listen to verse 8. It says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. So Paul's in uh, Asia. This, you know, we, we know Asia, right? But we think of China, Japan, you know, Korea's. Um, Asia in Paul's world was more like, you know, Turkey and that kind of region of Asia Minor. Well, Paul was, he never got all the way to China or anything. He, he, but he was getting into that, that part of the world and he was bringing about the gospel and he was helping to establish and plant churches and he was, he was seeing people come to faith. And what he says here is we don't want you in, in Corinth, in comfy Corinth. Corinth was a very comfortable place to live. Um, but you know, even by our standards as Americans, we would probably say, yeah, Corinth was a, it was a happening place. It was a prominent city, very wealthy. I mean, they didn't have indoor plumbing, so that stinks. But, you know, aside from that, get that, catch that, okay. Um, but, but aside from that, they were doing really well by the standards of the world they lived in. And, and so the Corinthians couldn't really wrap their heads around how Christians can be suffering and still be Christians because aren't Christians just supposed to live comfortable, cozy lives? That was their mindset because they were living comfortable, cozy lives, at least economically. And, and so Paul is saying, we don't want you to be unaware of the affliction that we, he's speaking of himself and his, his ministry partners, that we experienced in Asia. Now listen what, to what he says next. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Wow. Isn't that real? He doesn't, he doesn't just, he's not going, oh, pie in the sky, it's great. I, 
yeah, I know I'm going to be, you know, mugged today by an angry mob of people in Ephesus. He's, he's talking about Ephesus. If you want to read what happened to Paul in Ephesus, you should. It's in Acts, Acts um, 19. Um, it's, it, you can read, it, read all about it. Um, basically, Paul gets there. He starts seeing people come to Jesus. He, he turns the whole city upside down because a bunch of people who were, who were selling uh, or buying, rather, people who were buying these idols stopped buying idols because they start worshiping the true God. And so the people who made the idols were now out of work and they got ticked and they basically created this whole riot. There was a riot in the streets of, of Ephesus and Paul uh, was beaten within an inch of his life and, uh, and it just kept getting worse from there. So Paul's saying this is what happened to him. And he said, because of that, we were so, listen to the words. I mean, this is, a, this is hy- almost hyperbolic, but, I, but he's being honest and truthful. Utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life. That, I'm not a psychologist, but that sounds like depression if I've ever heard it. He despaired of life itself. He didn't want to live in this season. That's real. That's raw. And that's something that you, have, you may have experienced in your life. I don't know. And, and so here's what you need to know. Um, you don't have to downplay or pretend that your suffering isn't that bad. You don't have to do that. I know we, we, we tend to do that. We tend to go, well, you know, I don't have it as bad as someone else, so I shouldn't complain. That's a, mid, that's a very Midwest thing to do. Right? Like we just don't want to be a bother. Uh, culturally, that's just kind of where we are. But l- listen, you don't have to pretend that things are better than they are. You can be honest. Paul was honest. Listen to that where he goes from there. Verse 9 says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. He's saying, I think God sent me to Asia to die. And I mean, that's, that's heavy. That's huge. That's hard for him to, he, he said, we, we were so burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And we think God sent us there to kill us. That's what Paul's saying. I mean, think about that. Are we ever that honest? Can we be? Yeah. But now, but now listen, Paul's not just going, everything's horrible, I want to die, this is awful, and I'm just going to go sign off now, right? That would be a problem. <laughs> That'd be a problem. No, no, there, there is hope in this. Listen to what he says next. Verse 9 still. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death, but, but, that's an important word there, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see how Paul gospels himself in this? We're going to use the gospel as a verb here because he's gospeling himself. He's saying, yes, he's not denying the hardships. He's not pretending it's not as bad as it really is. He's being open and real and honest with his struggles. But he says these 
problems, these struggles, these afflictions that we've encountered, these had a purpose in our lives. And the purpose was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's the gospel, right? That we have a God who raises the dead. He raised Jesus from the dead and he will raise us from the dead as well. At, the, at his coming, the, the graves are going to give up their bodies. We know that. That's our, that's our eternal hope. That though we may die before Jesus returns, our hope is that our bodies will be raised to life eternal. We will have bodies that are similar to Jesus' resurrected body that can't be killed again, that can't go through death again. That's the hope. And, and so Paul's saying that he, he encountered these horrific things, but he was drawing his heart back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we must do too. We don't need to downplay or pretend that our suffering isn't bad. It may be terrible. And we can be honest about that. But it's the very afflictions and sufferings that we encounter in life that are meant to drive us to the heart of Jesus. Who says to you, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's what affliction and suffering is meant to do, to make us rely not on you and me and our strength, but to rely on the very God of resurrection hope. See, your, your faith and my faith in Christ is not what keeps us from suffering. That's really important that you hear that and believe that. Because if you think that your prosperity is rooted in your faith... Um, you're going, you're going to have your entire world rattled when that actually comes crashing down. And it will come crashing down. It will. So you have to understand, and I have to understand, that our, that our faith is not um, what, what keeps us from suffering. But here it is. Our faith in Christ is what keeps us rooted to him in suffering. See, our faith isn't meant to drive us to our own prosperity. It's meant to drive us to Christ and who he is. So, so now in these last two verses, 10 and 11, as we get, get to the end here, um, end of this section, Paul's going to give us some practical points to, to reflect on and apply to our lives. Um, and, and, and really, ultimately, how do we point ourselves to the God of hope? in the midst of suffering. Here's what he says, verse 10 and 11. He says, He, this is God he's talking about, He delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us. On Him, we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. So, so here's the first thing. There's four things. There's, we see three in this first verse. Let me just point them out to you. Here's how Paul points himself back to Jesus in his suffering. Number one, he remembers God's past work. He remembers what God had done, both in his life and just, I think, collectively God's work in the past. This is why 
in the Psalms, there are numerous Psalms that are just talking about what God did for Israel. We need those reminders. We need the reminder that the same God who carried the Israelites through the Red Sea is the same God who walks with us through our Red Sea. We need to see the past work of God and and that leads us into the confidence of the future. Paul says, He delivered us, past tense, from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us, present tense, he's talking here. So here's the second thing, right? The, the, the past work of God informs the present hope that he has in, in his life. God delivered us from such deadly peril and he will deliver us right here, right now. More than likely, Paul was writing from Ephesus to, to the Corinthians. So it's not like he wasn't in the midst of it. He was still in the midst of it. And he's looking at this and going, okay, God did this for us, past tense, He's doing this for us right here and right now. And then look at where he goes. He says, On him, on God, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. There's future. Future hope. Why? Is it rooted in just wishy-washy hopefulness? No, no. It's rooted in God's actions as a Savior and Lord who protects and guides us through the valley of the shadow of death. And so Paul says, listen, God delivered us. He will deliver us right here, right now. And we have hope that he'll deliver us again. So the first three things is we remember God's past work. We remember his present work in our hardship. And we remember that Jesus has a future secure for us. We, this is what it means to preach the gospel to ourselves. That's what it means. To preach the gospel means that we're reminding ourselves of these things gloriously as we suffer. And it's hard, man. It's hard. Like there's a, there's, you know, a, f- a phrase that, that you know, military leaders use a lot, which is the fog of war, right? The fog of war. You've probably heard that phrase. It's, it's, the idea is that you, know, you can't see all the moving parts very clearly because you're just kind of in the middle of it. It's a mess. Right? And that's how suffering feels too, doesn't it? You feel like you're just sort of in a fog. But, but what we need is to re- preach the gospel to ourselves so that hopefully that fog begins to lift. But listen, Paul doesn't stop there. Look at verse 11. Look at this. This is amazing. He says, you, he's speaking to the Corinthians, you also must help us by prayer. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. The fourth thing Paul does here is he doesn't just lean on his own uh, ability to preach the gospel to himself, although that's hugely important. He also leans in to the prayers of the church in Corinth. We must help each other by prayer. And listen, the only way we can do that is if we're actually honest with each other. And I'm not saying you have to like tell everybody everything, right? But you need to find your people. You need to find the people in your life who you can lean on and trust to pray for you. We need that. We need the prayer of other believers. And so 
as, as we look at this, listen, our hope is not that we won't suffer. Our hope is that as we do suffer, we will see Jesus in the midst of it with us. And we will be able to come around those who are in, in hardship and suffering to provide for them the help they need as well. So let me pray for you. And let's, let's continue our worship today. Jesus, thank you for your grace and kindness to us. Um, Lord, we know that things are hard. We know suffering is real. We know that there are, there are difficulties in life that we don't always know what to do with. But Lord, we know that you are the God of all mercy and comfort who comforts us in our afflictions in all of our afflictions. So Lord, would you do the work in our lives that need to be done today? Lord, you know each of us far better than, than we even know ourselves. So would you just do by your spirit the work that we need to be done? Would you comfort us with the comfort that you have, have to offer us in Christ? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.